I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. America is preparing to vote in a crucial set of midterm elections that could shift the balance of power in Washington. Once again, the Lord Ashcroft Polls team is traveling the country to hear what voters are thinking in their own words. This week, California, a state usually thought of as a Democrat stronghold, but with a number of one solidly Republican congressional districts where the Democrats hope to make gains this November. We're here to find out how the voters see the decision before. Hello, I'm Kevin Colwick, the director of Lord Ashcroft Polls on the third and final week of our pre-midterm focus group tour in California with Elise Jordan. Last week, we heard from voters in Iowa and Minnesota as they weighed their votes that could turn red districts blue and flip control of Congress in the elections next week. This week, we've been to two districts in California, the 39th in glorious Orange County, which has been held by the GOP for six years, but voted heavily for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump in 2016, and the 22nd further north around the city of Fresno, a theoretically solid Republican seat, which some think might not be as safe as it looks. We'll be hearing from voters who split their ticket in the last election, backing the GOP for Congress, but not voting for Donald Trump for president. We'll hear from Republican-leaning women who don't like Donald Trump very much, and a group who will be crucial in both places, those who backed Mitt Romney for president in 2012, but just couldn't vote for Donald Trump. Let's hear what they had to say. Our participants' recall of the week's news had been dominated by two main events the shootings at a synagogue in Pittsburgh and the pipe bomb sent to a number of prominent political and media figures. The groups discussed how much responsibility leaders in these two worlds had for setting the climate of opinion and debate and how far these terrible incidents were related to it. I believe when you're in a position of leadership, you need to be mindful of what you're saying, how you're saying it, to whom you're saying it. That said, it comes right down to whether or not I'm going to choose to load up and walk into a church or a synagogue, or a mosque, or just, you know, I work at the Hall of Records, the Hall of Records, and take out as many people as you can. That's still a choice. So who has more responsibility? Politicians and showing self-control over their rhetoric, or the media and how they choose to cover the divisive rhetoric? I think it's a combination of both. The media seems to basically incite and sensationalize things beyond belief. I really feel that unfortunately our media is actually basically contributing a great deal. It's one thing for an idiot to make a stupid comment or a tweet, but it's another to have that tweet and that comment repeated 200 times in a news cycle and also with that personality of that individual repeating it, inflecting inflecting their their own feelings and whatnot on it. And it actually basically festers and just multiplies the impact that it has. It's obvious our current president should show more restraint and actually present himself in a much better way than he currently is. But it's also would be nice if we would see our media also show some restraint and also try to they do understand what they're doing. They do understand that they're inciting more attitude out there within our general public. Trump has a lot to do with it, yeah, but I mean, he's only still one person. 
but he can also calm it down, at least give the sense that there's a calming force. If there's all this ugliness and divisiveness and things happening, instead of stoking it with the crazy Twitter things, it's like, why not just bring calm and say, okay, I'm not going to call people names. And then something like this happens. And then he points a finger at the media. I personally think it's on both sides, though. Mental illness has always existed. Yes, and true. ultimately, how we talk to people in a, in a public forum affects people who are both mentally have issues and people who are, you know, living their daily lives. So, you know, I, I hear this, this discussion about, well, it's mental illness, mental illness, mental illness. But I think our, our leaders have to be sensitive to that when they're speaking to voters and when they're speaking to people. But I think also part of the problem is that the news media puts their spin, like you said, on everything. Like, no matter if they do something good or bad, it's immediately like, what's the one way we could look at this bad and make even this a big deal, which not speaking about the bombs, but like something stupid, they'll spin it and this is one more thing that they did, that the politician did wrong and this is one more thing. So I think that it makes these psychotic people just more amped up because every single thing, like they're just fed with this hate constantly. It's fueled by the news, like you said, because one of the reasons I don't watch news is obviously to get ratings, it has to be dramatic and yeah. you have to play it up and you have to find your angle and you have to play to your audience to keep your audience. And so that's what they do. Back in the old days, they, they were newscasters and you felt like they were honest journalists and they were researching the story themselves, not repeating you know, some script that someone gave them. So are you, are you saying the cause of, of some of this is the politicians or the media or a combination of both? I think it's a combination yeah. of both. Combination. combination of both. But I think it's mainly the media. Yeah, yeah. the media. Yeah, really. I, would, I, I would agree, yeah. I remember when I took journalism, one of the things you learn, you're supposed to be fair and unbiased. And, and it's not. It's not happening anymore. You know? And I think he is one of the presidents that has been under most attack by the media than any of the years past. So he is definitely a bigger mouth type of person, and he does not respond politely to that, which is very unprofessional and un loses my respect, mm -hmm. even though I do agree with some of his policies and I voted for him, but his response is not professional and polite. But because he's su such under a scrutiny and attack of the media all the time, I feel like that's his response. News seems like op-ed now. I have to sometimes travel between channels to hear mm -hmm. the same story and different viewpoints before mm -hmm. I can formulate my own. I really invested on making sure that nothing that he does that's good is reported. And it's all anything bad. It's all that he did, yeah. And even if he does something good, it's always with a negative spin. I mean, honestly, I, we bounce around between CNN and, and Fox News as well for the exact same reason to kind of figure out what everybody's saying. But, but sometimes they're just things that are right and, and things that are good um, that you don't hear on, on some of those other stations. And, and then sometimes he's awful and I don't hear Fox News talking about that either. So. The migrant caravan making its way to the United States from Honduras continued to loom large in the minds of our focus groups. Though there was wide agreement about the need to protect America's borders, some were uneasy about the president's decision to deploy troops and its potential consequences. I think we have, in California, we have a totally different view of this than a lot of people do in the rest of the country. Because 
of the impact that it can potentially have on the on border states. I think the idea that anybody can come here without any legalities um, really undermines our foundation as a country. I mean, you don't want to be unsympathetic, but on the other hand, you just keep. I mean, you just can't let anybody yeah come in. When do you draw the line and how to stop them? That's a really tough <laughs> call. Yeah, because they need help and they want. Yeah. to be in America, but then it's also, how can you just take every single person? That was really tough. It's a dilemma. It's, yeah. it's tough because, like I said, you don't want to be sympathetic because you see all the kids and everything. And I mean, it breaks your heart, but we can't afford to just let everybody in because then that just takes from us. We have I to think stop. the border should be protected. I don't think they should be allowed in. Neither do I. They'll be draining our resources if they're allowed in. They could go to Mexico and seek asylum. Plus, they speak their language. For me, it's really a hard story because I under—I think I understand how difficult their lives are in the countries they're coming from. They just their government doesn't protect them. There aren't jobs. They're in fear for their children's lives. So, I have compassion for them, but I'm also frustrated that we're giving billions of dollars to those countries and. There and it money is not being used to improve the lives of the people that live there. So I, I feel terribly sorry for them. But at the same time, there are people all over the world who don't have that access. You know, don't have that border to cross, and they can't get here. And so I do think we we have to do it the right way. Also, the asylum laws are they have to do it in the next country they go to. So they, if Mexico is offering them asylum and it's legitimate, then they need to stay in Mexico. It's obviously very uncomfortable to all of all of all sides, Republicans, Democrats, to see mothers and children being sorry. I don't know why I get emotional right now. But anyway, to see people get hurt and killed and but protection has to happen and laws has to be abide. And it's hard to see people leaving their countries. I'm I'm an immigrant. I came here the legal way and I worked my way through college and education to be where I'm standing. It's really heartbroken to see people have to suffer, but laws has to be upheld. What if somebody's breaking in your house because they want your stuff? Oh, you have a nice house. I want to live there. Are you just going to say, okay, well, you already broke into the garage. Just go ahead and come in. You want to use my car? You want to eat? You want to take over my bedroom? Like, how far are you going to go? They're not, you don't want them in your house. They're not allowed. They did the wrong thing by coming in. But are you just going to give up everything and be like, okay, well, you're here now, so just take everything? Do you agree with President Trump's decision to deploy military forces to the border? I, I do. I, 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 it's not that we're trying to, it's just to try to shirt up, to make sure that if you're coming, you're coming legally. And you're not just coming in bringing whatever disease drugs with you and everything. So I, I agree with it. I think the military action is warranted. I do think we need to have some sort of protection, but it's just, I feel like it's going to get out of hand. I mean, as far as like sending the troops out, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm Salvadoran and Honduran, and I mean, we can't just allow the people to come in here either. I do agree on that, but it's it's a tough situation at hand. It's really tough. Well, there's a, there's some people who would say that, you know, people coming to come to America for a better life are only fleeing what the United States has perpetuated or started right. decades ago. So it's like one of these vicious cycles. And now we're, you know, ready to build a wall and say you can't come here and all that kind of stuff. But if you take a, back, a look back at history and you follow the money and you follow the arms and you follow all that stuff, 
it really was started by potentially the United States in some sort of way or perpetuated. I think they're going to they're going to try to hold them mm-hmm. so they don't cross. And then um, it's going to be an affront and mm-hmm. something's going to happen. <laughs> then there'll be physical violence. Yeah. Most of our participants in these two currently Republican California districts had voted for their GOP congressman in 2016 and were considering doing so again this time. But many had not been able to bring themselves to vote for Donald Trump. Some of them, though not all, felt compelled to admit that he'd so far been a better president than they'd expected. I mean, I'm not necessarily happy with Trump at all, but I think that there's, it was kind of, it had to be some sort of an outsider, maybe he's not an outsider, you know, but something different to um, to stop the propensity of people just trying to get reelected, you know, saying whatever or doing whatever just to get reelected. That's kind of why I thought he might be different. So me as well, I voted for Trump. I felt like I did not want Hillary Clinton in office at all. And he was the better of the choice at the time. If there was a different Republican um, that would have gotten the ticket, that would have been my vote for that. And that he was not, I liked that he was not a career politician. Personally, I believe that most politicians have skeletons in the closet and probably most of them do what they need to do. I don't believe that they're all 100%. Nobody is honest. And I, he's staying true to what he showed before. And I can live with that. First of all, um, I've never really liked him even before then, um, just from TV and everything, I always thought he was kind of a pompous ass. <laughs> so, you know, that doesn't mean that most presidents aren't a little pompous, but, um, you know, I did not want to vote for the Republican Party, and I am Republican. So that just really, I know that a lot of the Republican Party didn't like that he got nominated, and they were trying so hard to try and get him out of that, but um, there really wasn't anyone else, and we were kind of stuck. Has anyone else's opinion changed from the time that you voted in 2016 to now? Personally of him, yeah, but not of the yeah. overall. I think he's work. getting the job done, but he's not a likable person at all. Yeah. I was like, really? We have to pick between these mm-hmm. two? I'm like, oh, gosh. But um, it surprised right. me, definitely, for the better. How? Because it could have gone either way. He's not a seasoned politician, so you, you never know what you're going to get. But definitely better than I expected. Honestly, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. Um, his mouth needs some yeah. work. And we knew that, and that's that may even be worse than what I thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, as far as what he's actually doing, I'm, I'm pleased. What was nice is... He said a lot of things that were on our minds. He wasn't trying to schmooze this group. He's like, you know, this is this is how it is. And all the politicians I've ever followed, they're scared to say what he says. That's how partially why he's president right now is finally someone is speaking up. Someone's not taking the kickbacks. I voted for Clinton, but after because he did say when he was, you know, running America first, you know, and he was always America first. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, he is. Because I think like a lot, you know, like some of you guys said, some, like he is putting, I think what I feel is like our country first, because like the whole with the whole immigration thing, too. He's doing that, like disrespecting uh, the German um 
a woman, I mean, hello, she's a woman. I'm sure he doesn't like the fact that she's in power. Um, our UK allies have been our UK, they've been our allies forever. And he's completely disrespectful of the Queen and of the Parliament. And it's just mind blowing to me that he, it's really just the respect of anything. And doesn't have all the facts. Well, he just doesn't have the facts and doesn't understand, I don't think. You're a supporter of Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. You clearly like his policies. Mm -hmm. You voted for him. Mm -hmm. If he acted like Trump, would you vote Republican? Well, if he was my choice, if he he had a Trump personality, but his policies, is that what you're asking? His policies were those that you like. Yeah, I can't can't stomach that kind of personality, so I would hope. So you ditch the policies for the individual. I would hope, yeah. People's positive views about the president, especially if they'd been sceptical to begin with and still didn't like the way he behaved, were closely tied to the performance of the economy. But there were mixed views about the effects of the president's tariffs. I got to be honest, when I voted, I, I had no intention of voting for him because I thought he was a joke. Right? But as being uh, 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 you know, a blue-collar worker, being a construction worker, a commercial driver, the work has tripled for me really? since he's been in office. Yeah. So really? for me, I'll, that's why now I'm that's like, that's okay, true. you know what? Maybe Trump is immature and he's definitely not a politician. He's a businessman. Yeah. Maybe that's what we needed. And I'm going to tell you, you look at, I mean, all my buddies that we were down and making hardly anything in the last two years. Oh, my God. I, I don't have any friends that are out of work. We, we fund small businesses, and, and they're obtaining a lot of business tax credits and tax write-offs now yeah. uh, for equipment or, or funding for their businesses as well. So it has created another angle to help those businesses. That helps me as well. So my whole point with any president is the economy. That's all I could care less. <laughs> I don't personally care for the guy. Yeah, but, me either, but... Uh, for me, uh, less government. Is this better for me? I give the current administration and the efforts. He's our president. It's his administration. The government doesn't create jobs unless they're building new departments and things of that nature. But it's obvious that our business sector is fairly comfortable with the climate that is currently within the United States. And they're the ones that are putting jobs in place. I support the tariffs. And there's too much imbalance. Mm-hmm. We need to move some some more manufacturing here in our country. He's trying. He's know. trying. Yeah. We need more. I think it's temporary pain for a long-term better picture for mm-hmm. our country. And I, I think the tariffs are creating temporary pain. I mean, we're in the building industry and, and it's incredibly expensive now to get steel. Now the tariffs are crazy. What was 150 to $200 a square foot is now? As we've heard elsewhere, the balance of power in Washington was just one of many things in people's minds as they considered how to vote on the 6th of November. And most said that for all his dominance of the American political scene, Donald Trump himself hardly featured in their deliberations. If I was voting on a generic ballot, I would vote one way. But since I'm not, I'm probably going to vote another way. To that question, does Donald Trump influence who you're voting for? My generic ballot? Yes. My actual vote for the in this congressional race, uh, it, it I want it to, but I have problems with both candidates, and I may wind up leaning in one one direction. So, 
I try to do my research, and I try to vote based on the issue, not the candidate. And, and you know, you look at, are they similar to me? Do they have similar interests? Are they invested in the same way? You know, what's their background? My biggest problem was when people ask you, are you going to vote Democrat or Republican? And I'm one of these people that there's a registered Republican, but I like to base it on whoever's the candidate rather than am I a Democrat or Republican. Right. Yeah. And I really hate it when you say, are you going to vote blue or red? What will change if Democrats take over? I think we'll, it'll be a stalemate. I think nothing's going to happen. And we're just going to hear arguing for two more years about how great they are, how bad he is, how great he is, how bad they are, and I don't mm -hmm. think anything will go Nothing. forward. What do you think of Republicans in Congress in general? I think okay. some of them are very weak. Mm -hmm. So I'm not thrilled with them, but I do think they probably align a little bit more with what I believe than what the Democrats do. Mm -hmm. But I don't see them. They're starting to seem like they're getting a backbone, but I haven't had one for decades. So. And I don't feel like we have true Democrats there. We have more liberals. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. than truly different. Mm -hmm. Do you feel more motivated or less motivated this go-round? Disheartened is the feeling I have. It's just so hard to decide. And it's just like back in 2016, I go back to the lesser of two evils. How much does Donald Trump factor into your decision-making process, if at all? If he's endorsed a candidate, does that sway you in favor or against no. the candidate? No, no. It never has. No. no. I'll be honest, too, sometimes. No. If I don't know nothing about the candidates, I, I just might be racist, but I'll look at the name, and then well, maybe that direction, if I like the name better than some other name, it's probably not the right thing to do. But I'm not more motivated. I feel... The issues are just sometimes very confusing. I've been disappointed in the past, but I vote. I will vote. I'm still looking into the um, candidates and still doing my research, but I will vote, yes. And usually you vote Republican. Yes. But you're thinking of maybe switching parties. I just, I'm going to look at everybody, mm -hmm. still looking at everybody. That's how I was this last year with Trump. You know, I wasn't sure who, who, who to vote for, but Trump seemed to be the only one that was moving forward and, and things that I would want to see moving forward. So Trump is a factor in your midterm decision too? In a way, but no, after seeing everything that's been going on this year, I mean, yes and no. Is Trump a factor in your midterm decision, who you're going to vote for? Uh, no, not necessarily, because I don't think he, um, I don't know, I don't even feel like he's a Republican Party, he's just his own kind of, in his own world. <laughs> exactly. So I, I wouldn't, yeah, put a bad name. <laughs> to the whole Republican Party just because of one person. I'm looking for who seems to be the best person for the position, whether that be Republican, Democrat. I just want somebody, the most honest person. I know that sounds insane when we're talking yeah. about politics. <laughs> but, you know, I have a certain way that I live my life um, with morals and standards, and I kind of expect the same out of my politicians to some degree. I realize I can't get them to be like me but <laughs> well I'm voting Democrat because I have you know in the past I have voted Republican and I always always had a respect for elected officials presidents Bush you know everybody they're our president but this time around it's like all bets are off anybody any republic any figure political figure that has supported Trump and that the crazy that he is to me they're just pandering and they're they know he's crazy and they're jumping on that bandwagon for whatever reason and it 
picked up steam and then all of a sudden he's our president. But I didn't feel like anybody had a backbone to stand up to him. If the Democrats took control of the Congress, would anything change? It's just so hard to say because then you're going to have a lot of fights and a lot of blocking and it's going to be more rivalry stuff. It's just it doesn't seem like they get anything done ever anymore <laughs> to me. It's always just a matter of, no, I want to block you and I'm going to fight for that. But that kind of that's leadership that trickles down yes. and there's no leader calming everybody down and encouraging collaboration, encouraging partnership, encouraging dialogue. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. adding Democratic into it would, would like, like a lot of people said, would get things going, change things. And, you know, maybe it would be the balance that we need. Maybe that would, in, in a way, get things moving in a different direction. Just like we're doing right here, like, like around top that we're doing here, that's what they need to do over there. <laughs> they, yeah. You guys need to take this this podcast and show it to them <laughs> and say, yeah. this is maybe, maybe the way you guys need to do things so that you guys can collaborate and get your ideas and put them together and maybe get a positive out of you out there. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be, though? Well, <laughs> it's, it, it, you know what? It's it rocket science to some people, unfortunately. This was a particularly tragic week to discuss the news in America because of the aftermath of the massacre at the Pittsburgh synagogue. And we discussed with the groups a fair amount if they thought Donald Trump's rhetoric had encouraged the act of violence or if the media had encouraged the act of violence. Posing those questions because this was really where the groups tended to go one way or the other. And I don't think they particularly blamed Donald Trump or politicians in general for causing or promoting such acts. These things do happen. I think they slightly blame the media for ramping up the climate. Yes, it wasn't just the fact that Donald Trump often says provocative uh, things. There was quite some opinion that the media should perhaps downplay or sometimes ignore uh, rather than uh, keep repeating it, calling in the experts, debating it, uh, talking about what the consequences uh, were. And the polarization becomes obvious between CNN and, uh, and Fox News, uh, where it's quite clearly that uh, it's influenced one way or the other, whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, how this is then consequentially seen. So it's more than just reporting facts. It's trying to uh, spin the facts to a political purpose. And the other big story of the week we talked about again was the Honduras caravan, which is slowly moving towards the American border. Even though they want the law enforced, they seem uneasy about what's going to become of the military deployment down on the border. They're starting to talk about the fact that people should come in only on a legal way, the legal process. Uh, there should be a process for asylum seekers, so on and so forth. But when confronted with the question that once they turn up at the border, what do you expect to happen? And the thinking varied from uh, uh, let them in and put them in a camp, leave them in a camp on the Mexican side, but make sure they have medical aid, supplies and, uh, and food, to just they have to be stopped, whatever the consequences, that it might get ugly. But no one actually thought that the government had a plan as to what would happen when they arrived on the border, and they all found it quite fascinating and interesting to see what eventually it turned out to be. The voters we heard from were accommodating of birthright citizenship, 
They do not like citizenship that comes from circumventing the process illegally. We've seen on many occasions, uh, whilst we've been in the United States, how uh, people often vote on the personality of the candidate rather than the policies that are behind that particular candidate. And we had uh, one participant who was very, very challenging on, uh, on Trump, absolutely disliked him and took every opportunity even to interrupt as to how bad uh, Trump was. So putting to her who she voted for, she said Bernie Sanders, and we asked her that if Bernie had the same personal characteristics as Donald Trump, but yet had all the policies that she adhered to and loved very much indeed, would she still vote for him? And on that one, she was somewhat stumped and wasn't quite sure how to respond, which did demonstrate quite clearly uh, that policies sometimes lag behind the personality in, in the voters' choice. Many of the voters, especially those that voted for Trump, will st still stick with him on the basis that they believe what you see is what you get and you know exactly where you stand. And with many other politicians, they may say one thing, do another, and they don't particularly trust them. I was very surprised by the number of Republicans in completely different electorates across the country who may not be super fans of Donald Trump, but it isn't going to influence them enough where they would go across the aisle and vote for a Democrat because they think they're just going to see more stagnation on the Hill and less possibility that anything actually gets done. As for what's actually going to happen in these elections, it occurs to me that usually when you're going into a big change election, you get a lot of people who previously voted for the incumbent party saying, I've had enough of this, it's time for change, I'm switching my vote. And we've heard precious little of that over the last few weeks. People seem focused on local candidates and issues at least as much as they do on the national political scene. And very few people seem to have changed their minds about Trump and the Republicans in either direction. The other thing that occurs to me is that although we're supposed to be expecting this enormous blue wave, the reasons for that are eerily familiar, which is that young people and women and professionals and people in the suburbs are horrified by Trump and all his works and outside his core support, people are united in opposition. But the reason those things are familiar is that we heard them all two years ago, and they're the reasons Trump wasn't supposed to win in the first place. And yet here we are in the second year of his reign. Having said all of that, that doesn't necessarily mean the Democrats aren't going to do well. They may well take back the House and they may, may well do well in other races around the country. But given what we've heard, I think if they do manage to do that, it will have to be on the basis of turning out their voters and particularly new voters and younger people at a much higher rate than the Republicans managed to do. And that is what's going to determine what happens. And that's what still remains to be seen. And we've come to the end now of this trip around the United States, having visited New Hampshire, New Jersey, Iowa, Minnesota, and now California, learned a lot more about how the voters of this great nation consider things. We sometimes describe it as a reality show, but perhaps that's where Donald Trump once came from. And that's it for this edition of the Ashcroft in America podcast. Tweet us with your comments, questions, and thoughts using the hashtag Ashcroft in America, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And don't forget to check out our recent editions featuring Lord Ashcroft's interviews with Democratic strategist Bob Schrum, former Republican strategist Reed Galen, and Governor John Kasich. All our research is published at lordashcroftpolls.com and you can keep up to date on our Facebook page. Meanwhile, that's it for our pre-midterm research tour. Thanks for listening to Ashcroft America. Enjoy the elections and we'll see you next time.